Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This podcast is graphic and deals with mature subject matter. You're listening to True Crime Chronicles. It's, it's bad enough if you lose one person through normal, you know, you get old and you die, you have a heart attack or whatever, but to have your entire family wiped out by some atrocious act like this. It's going to be a long time before we put this to rest. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Jessica Knoll. And I'm Will Johnson. Jessica, before we get to this week's story on True Crime Chronicles, we want to mention again uh, our new podcast, Bardstown. And specifically for a reason this week, uh, the podcast is getting a lot of attention. It has to do with a series of unsolved cases in Kentucky, as our listeners have heard us talk about. But I bring it up this week for one particular reason. And we actually have a series of billboards in Louisville, Kentucky, close to where uh, the town in this case is located. And the billboards are really drawing attention to obviously the podcast, but also the cases and the names of the people involved in these cases and the victims. And Jessica, I bring it up because it plays into, I think, our overall goal with True Crime Chronicles and also Bardstown. It's to get the word out about a lot of cases, obviously the ones that are unsolved. Right, Will. So these billboards, you know, we have a series of three. The first one is um, the victims' names. The second one is help us solve these cases. And the third one is Bardstown. And it's it's garnered a lot of attention. Um, and I think for uh, the people in Kentucky who are seeing these, um, we're getting a lot of feedback thanking us for bringing these cases back to light and to the public's attention and bringing the victims' names right out there and reminding people that these are still unsolved cases. The families, the community, the victims do not have justice. And so I think it speaks to a louder uh, point that our goal with these podcasts is to get answers and to get some uh, closure for these families. And and hopefully with Bardstown, the podcast, the right person will come forward and help solve these cases. All right, Jessica. Well, again, if people want to listen to Bardstown, they can listen to it wherever they listen to podcasts. This week on True Crime Chronicles, we are covering uh, a more recent case happened in just the last year or so, actually. And it takes us to Florida near Tampa Bay. It's mid-December 2018. A mobile home park in Tarpon Springs, Florida, where 71-year-old Richard Avancic and his wife, 59-year-old Laura Avancic, live with their son, Nicholas. Tarpon Springs is near Tampa on Florida's Gulf Coast. So if sun and warm weather don't make it clear that the holidays are near... At least the decorations around town and the endless radio and TV ads signal the season. The communities that we're talking about are on the north end of Tampa Bay. So Tarpon Springs is along the water uh, north of Tampa itself. That's Eric Glasser. He's been a reporter at WTSP in Tampa Bay for nearly 10 years. So he covers news all around Tampa Bay 
and he knows the area well. It's an area with a wide mix of people and homes. Some of the areas on the water certainly have uh, very well-to-do communities. Tarpon Springs has some absolutely beautiful homes on the water that date back a long time. Uh, But there are also communities that are mobile home communities, RV communities, and um, houses that would be in the $100,000 to $200,000 range. Richard and Laura and their 25-year-old son are relatively new to the neighborhood. The Avancics hadn't moved to the area that long ago, but long enough that there were neighbors who did know them, at least from walking around the neighborhood and making friendly enough chat, especially Laura Avancic, they said, was a very sweet woman uh, who would walk around quite a bit and take time to stop and say hello. Uh, But not many of them described themselves as being social with or friends of Laura and Richard Avancic or of their son, Nicholas, who was still living with them at the time. In addition to their son, Nicholas... Laura and Richard also have an adopted daughter together, 21-year-old Jamie Avancic. And Richard, who was previously married, has children from that marriage as well. It's one of those children who starts getting worried in the days after Christmas when he can't seem to get in touch with his father. Richard Jr. calls the local police and asks them to do a welfare check on the family. But as soon as Tarpon Springs police arrive at the Avancic home on New Year's Day... There are signs that something's not right. Highly suspect outside the front of the house was a ditch that had recently been dug up, which appeared to be the size or the ability to be a grave. Uh, There was nothing in that, but the mere fact that it was there in front of the flower bed was highly suspicious. They went to the windows of the mobile home, and um, there were several, they said, live flies Uh, They could smell what they believed was decomposition. And so then they were able to obtain the warrant that they needed to go into uh, the home itself. And sadly, they found uh, Laura and Richard Avancic and Jamie's brother, adopted brother, uh, Nicholas, all three dead, as well as the family's three dogs, which had also been killed. The scene is horrific. The three Avancics and their three dogs... The victims have been there for a while. It's estimated by police that they were probably killed sometime before Christmas, maybe about a a week before Christmas of last year. Uh, Their bodies were discovered actually on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, uh, so a couple of weeks after that. Police believe that Richard was at home alone when he was attacked and bludgeoned to death with a hammer. Laura Avancic came home sometime thereafter, and he also killed her hid both of those bodies, and then when Nicholas um, came home later and had fallen asleep on the couch, that he murdered him as well, and then had hidden all three bodies with the intention at some point, perhaps, of uh, coming back and trying to, to either bury them or hide them as well. On New Year's Day, police found Richard, Laura Ann, and Nicholas Ivancic, along with their three dogs, dead in their home. But now police are searching for his wife, Jamie, who no one has seen in a while. There's no indication that the family's involved in anything criminal. There's no indication of a motive. And amid the reports of the family's brutal murders, the details of the Avancic's three small dogs also being killed is disturbing. What kind of motive, if any, could lead someone to kill family pets? At the time, when I asked that question of police, their answer was, dogs make a lot of noise. 
especially if they're protective of their family. And so there might have been a lot of barking. They weren't large dogs. They weren't particularly protective dogs as far as being guard dogs. So they, they indicated that it was more of an issue of not wanting to bring attention to the house. What could have brought someone to the Avancic family home a week before Christmas? What could have led someone to murder them one by one in cold blood? As it turns out, what led to that brutal scene was a secret. A secret that the family might have been honing in on and getting too close to the truth. Hi, True Crime Chronicle listeners. I'm Will Johnson. I want to tell you about another podcast we're listening to. It's about Jimmy Hoffa. When you hear the name Jimmy Hoffa, you probably think of the former Teamster boss's iconic disappearance. But his story is much more than a murder mystery. It's a story about power, loyalty, and betrayal, organized labor, and organized crime. It's a story about how far people will go to get what they want. Once you start looking into Hoffa, you find yourself down a rabbit hole of dark tunnels. You look at the Teamsters Union, and you end up with Richard Nixon, Bobby Kennedy, and the JFK assassination. All of these roads lead us back to Hoffa's obsession with power. There was nothing he would do to have it and hold on to it. Once he lost everything, how far would he go to get it back? The fourth season of Shattered, all about Jimmy Hoffa, begins December 3rd. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Before she and her son and husband were murdered inside their Tarpon Springs home, Laura Vansick had been trying to get in touch with their 21-year-old daughter, Jamie, for some time, but to no avail. Jamie lived not that far away with her husband, Shelby Neely, and their two young children. But months had come and gone without any news from Jamie. By December, months had turned into a year and the Avancics were getting worried. Laura did have some contact with Jamie's husband, Shelby, and a few texts here and there from Jamie, but nothing in person. For close to a year, apparently, they were told she's busy, she's away on business, she's out of the state. Laura and Richard Ivanchik became suspicious that something was wrong because they weren't hearing from their daughter in person, her voice, her presence. And as those months passed, they became more and more concerned that there was something wrong. As the holidays rolled around, Laura starts pressing Shelby for some proof that her daughter is okay. And she had begun increasingly to put pressure on Shelby Neely to produce her in some form, whether in person, on the phone, uh, so that she could know that she was all right. Then the Avancics are found dead, and there's still no sign of their daughter, Jamie. In January 2018, almost a year before her parents and brother were murdered, Jamie Avancic wasn't happy in her marriage to Shelby Neely. There was talk of splitting up. There had been discussions apparently about that. They, the two had been arguing for some time. Uh, it wasn't clear whether or not she had actually gone ahead and filed for divorce, but there were problems between them that the mother knew that there had been problems between them. And so again, 
that exacerbated the situation where she wasn't able to actually speak with her daughter for months at a time that she apparently felt something was wrong. But January was the last anyone had seen Jamie. Her parents would only get texts from her. When they talked or texted with Shelby, he would only say she was out of the state, working, and not around. James Zindrowski, Jamie's uncle, remembers the kind of updates they'd get. She's working. Uh, she's in Texas. She'll be driving back to uh, Florida with another car that we purchased, etc., etc. But when Jamie's parents and brother are found murdered on New Year's Day, Shelby Neely's name comes up early on. Based on information received where neighbors had witnessed a white male, thin, possibly in his 20s, approximately five foot three, outside the residence digging a ditch with a younger, possibly two to three-year-old by his side. This subject's description matched that of the husband of the couple's daughter, along with one of their two children. But Shelby was nowhere to be seen, and Jamie Avancic was still unaccounted for and her parents' car had disappeared as well. Local police started to make their case. They were looking for evidence as to how this might happen. The first thing was is that Laura and Richard Avancic's SUV was gone. It had a Florida plate, so they knew what to look for as far as a vehicle was concerned. They weren't sure who they were looking for at that point. It could have been uh, Shelby Neely and perhaps Jamie. Uh, they were looking for the kids, him, both of them. They just didn't know at that point. But along with neighbors' statements about seeing someone who looked like Neely digging a ditch at their home, they tracked down other evidence. They were able to go to a local Home Depot store and had video of Shelby Neely actually purchasing uh, some of the painter's cloth, uh, tape, um, rope, some of the other things that were found uh, at the murder scene. Um, they were able also to go to a local pawn shop where there was still evidence, video evidence of him uh, selling jewelry that had come from the home over the course of three days after what they believe was the date of the murders. Investigators were able to locate local pawn transactions under the suspect's name. He sold games at a GameStop in Palm Harbor, made purchases at a McDonald's and a Home Depot in Port Ritchie. Drop cloths and area rugs were used to wrap the bodies of Richard and Laura Vansick after they were killed. The pieces start to fall together, but still no sign of Shelby Neely, his wife Jamie, or her parents Kia Sorrento. But it was pretty clear he could be involved. But then they get a break. The car is located in Ohio, in Shelby Neely's hometown, where they find him setting up an apartment with his two children and a childhood friend. They had just uh, taken out a room lease on Christmas Eve. Um, as far as the wife, Jamie, obviously she was not with him when they located him. Police were eventually able to use license plate trackers to uh, locate the stolen vehicle. They tracked Neely to a neighborhood near Cleveland where he was taken into custody. The Lakewood Police Department was able to take the suspect into custody without incident when he came out to get into the car. The two children, three and two years of age, were found safe inside the apartment. Neely is brought in for questioning, along with his new roommate. Apparently the roommate had seen inside of a cooler that Shelby Neely had a couple of wallets, one of them belonging to Richard Avancic, the other to uh, Nicholas, uh, who we now know were both dead, asked him about those. He said that he had used the wallets because he had had some previous record and that he was going to need those identifications in order to try to get a job. This roommate apparently 
when asked by police uh, about whether or not he had said anything about their deaths, said that he had asked them whether or not he had killed them, but that he had said no. But as police start asking questions, Neely finally gives in and confesses to killing his wife's parents and her brother. The whereabouts of Jamie Nicole Avancic are unknown. We do fear that she too may be the victim of foul play. She has been entered as a missing endangered adult. And then the real bombshell. He not only confessed to killing the three members of Jamie's family, uh, her adopted mother, Laura Richard, and her brother, Nicholas, but also to having killed Jamie as well. Um, And again, only found out later that she had likely been dead for up to a year. Shelby Neely had, in fact, killed his wife almost a year earlier, months and months before he invaded her parents' home, armed with a knife, drop cloths, and a motive. The police then search the backyard of the house that Jamie and Shelby Neely once shared in another suburb in the same basic area called Port Ritchie. Right now, Pasco County deputies are investigating a homicide. They found a body at a home in Port Ritchie. Detectives and their forensic team have been working around the clock since Friday, searching this home after a tip from Tarpon Springs police. They believe it could be connected to the murders of three family members in Tarpon Springs. And there in the backyard of that house, they found a shallow grave and inside of it, um, Jamie, Jamie's remains. They said that she had um, what they describe as blunt trauma. That's a pretty, that's a pretty wide description or definition. Trauma obviously can be from any number of things, but it would seem to indicate that she, as opposed to strangulation or something of that nature, had been um, struck with something to the point of, of her death. But the reason for our um, press conference today is to let everybody know that Jamie Vancek, um, her remains have been recovered from 10930 Norwood Ave in Port Ritchie in a positive identification and next of kin have been uh, notified. At this point, we're um, working with the medical examiner's office. The remains are with the medical examiner's office at this point. Deputies say the body that was found behind a Newport Ritchie home just Sunday of this week is that of 21-year-old Jamie Avancic. And deputies say her husband, Shelby Svensson, who admitted to killing her, who's already in an Ohio jail, was somehow able to trick her family into thinking that she has been missing for an entire year. Deputies say her body was so badly decomposed that they can't even say exactly how she was killed, but they say it appears to be some type of blunt force trauma. We may never know what led Shelby Neely to kill his wife, but over time, we've learned why he decided to attack and kill her parents and brother as well. After all of this came about, we were able to speak with Laura Avancic's brother. Uh, His name is uh, James Zindrowski, and... James told us, uh, because he was obviously able to converse with his sister, that over the course of time, she was becoming increasingly suspicious. And his concern was that she was continuing, Laura was continuing to put increasing pressure on Shelby Neely to produce some evidence of Jamie's existence. And I think probably because of my sister pressing him, it probably pushed him over the edge and he snapped and he thought, well, I got away with killing Jamie. I'll get away with killing everybody here, too. So as the case unfolded and Neely is charged with the murders of his wife and her family, it becomes clear who the texts were coming from during those many months that Jamie Avancic was unaccounted for. 
But by using her cell phone, he was able to send them text messages and photos of their two children uh, that had been updated so as to give the impression that she was alive and to use words and text messages that seemed to be from her. And during that time, after Shelby Neely had killed his wife and buried her in the front yard of their home, the couple's two children were with him. When they would ask for updates, uh, he obviously still had the couple's two children with him. And so he was able to send updated photographs or photographs that would make them feel like they were from that present time or day to give the impression that she was sending them and that they were up to date. But we now know that she had likely been dead for close to a year at that point. He was able to just trick them into thinking that she was unavailable, she was somewhere else, and she was unavailable for a phone call. And so that kind of progressed over that period of time from the last time that she was seen to what happened down at Tarpon Springs. So he was making um, statements to the family that she was unavailable, and then perhaps he was communicating through different mechanisms to um, pose as her. That's part of the investigation. A man who pretended to be his murdered wife is back in Florida, charged with killing her entire family. Charged with uh, three counts of murder in the first degree. Are you financially able to hire a, a private lawyer? No, Your Honor. Shelby Neely pleaded not guilty. His wife, Jamie, was found buried in a front yard. Deputies say he likely killed her family so that they would not question Neely about their daughter's whereabouts. He's due back in court in May. I think it's heartbreaking from the standpoint of the fact that the family and the extended family obviously knew that there was something wrong. But there was this balance between pushing too hard, not being sure if Jamie was dead, that if they did, that maybe something would happen to her or their children. Uh, and also possibly pushing too hard that if something had happened, that Shelby Neely might then try to t take action against them. And again, when you speak with James... Zendrowski, who is uh, Laura Ivancic's brother, he believes that that's exactly what happened, that eventually Laura pushed to the point of insistence uh, that he feels that Shelby Neely then felt that he had no choice but to kill her and that family in order to try to erase any suspicion about what was going on. Neely remains behind bars at the Pinellas County Jail. He's made very few appearances in court since he was brought back to Florida. In Florida, defendants are entitled to be present for just about any hearing on any issue that might occur in their case. But in this case, Neely is still sitting behind bars. He's not going to get out. He has no bond. And um, he has waived his appearance at any of these hearings. So it's unlikely that we would ever see him in court unless his, his presence there is, is mandated by the judge. If there's a silver lining to any of this, it's the fact that Jamie Avancic's two children appear to be in good hands. When this first happened, remember that there were also two young children involved, the children of Shelby Neely and Jamie, who, again, may have been photographed and maybe these images may have been forwarded. At the time, the children were two and three years old. Um, they were originally placed into the system uh, of foster care here in Florida. But at the time, we were told that it was very likely that, um, that there were enough surviving relatives out there that the children would eventually be uh, adopted by relatives. Jessica, this took a long time, a year, where the family hadn't physically seen their daughter. Do we know if they ever filed a missing persons report or went to the police? Well, to our knowledge, they did not file a missing persons report. And we don't know why. Um, 
but family dynamics are different for everyone, so we're not sure what was going on there. All right, Jessica, thanks for bringing us the story this week. We will be back next week with a new story and a new case. True Crime Chronicles is a Vault Studios production. You can tell your friends to listen, subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all major listening apps. You can find Vault Studios on Twitter, Instagram, and check out our Facebook group, Gone Cold, where we discuss this and other cases. 